everyone's doing well this morning. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers. Um, for those of you that don't know, Scott is my father-in-law, and so when Chris asked me a few weeks ago if I'd be willing to, to do this, I, would, I said, of course, and then I immediately texted Scott. Uh, we have the uh, opportunity many times to have all kinds of conversations, some, some of them serious, some of them silly and dumb, but uh, that's the beauty of, of having this kind of a relationship. Some of them involve really difficult conversations about your mustache. Oh, man. Wow. You went ahead and brought that up. I, I do want to uh, start off by noting that this day can be difficult for some. I kind of won the lottery when it comes to getting a father. Um, he didn't win the lottery. I mean, he won the lottery with me, but... He didn't win the lottery with his own dad. And so Father's Day was uh, is a different experience for my dad um, than it is for me. And I know that's true for a, a lot of folks, that Martin Luther couldn't pray to God as a father for many, many years uh, because he didn't have a good example of what a loving father was. Yeah. Um, and not only, uh, not, not only that, but some of us uh, have lost our fathers, like, Chris lost his father this week, and so um, that loss, Father's Day reminds us of what we used to have, or what we should have had, uh, and for some of us, what we did get to have, but yeah. talk to us a little bit yeah, about well, that. Yeah, well, you know, as I think about um, sometimes pain, it brings out our necessities, and the, the need of a father, maybe the pain that some of us feel uh, of, of not having our fathers anymore or maybe not having good experience growing up with fathers, that, that might be evidence that we do need a father and that we, we actually have a father. And so um, we're going to think about God as our father this morning. Uh, we have this opportunity to be a part of a relationship. And Scott and I want to talk about uh, what that fatherly relationship would look like um, between us and our Heavenly Father. So, Scott, tell us a little bit about the beginning. Uh, yeah, you know, there's something about Genesis 1. Um, some of you might have uh, had a class with us last summer where we explored some of this, but oftentimes when we look at the creation narrative, we think about it in our Western minds, um, in our somewhat scientific or pseudoscientific minds, there's a story that's unfolding in Genesis 1. It's the story of God uh, nesting. So on days 1, 2, and 3, he doesn't create any living beings. He creates spaces. He creates the light and the dark on day 1. On day 2, he creates the expanse. He pulls apart the seas above and the seas below. Um, and if you think about, you know, in an ancient worldview, you look outside and there's blue skies and the sea is blue. It's seas above and seas below. And then on day three is, the, is the, the land and the vegetation. And then on days four, five, and six, he's creating the beings that live in those, right? The sun, moon, and stars live in the day and the night. And so they are the beings that live in the light and the dark. On day five, he creates the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. Those are the beings that live in the places that he made for them. He prepared a place for them. He's nesting. He's an expecting father, a parent who's getting the nursery ready. And then the same thing on day six when he creates 
of course, livestock and the living animals, but then the very good creation, and he thinks about you, and he's thinking about what, what kind of place does he want to offer you? Stephen was in uh, Montana last week and, and hiking and seeing all that God had prepared for him, right? It's that he's put this in, in place for us. And so there's this provision that's playing out in that story that I think is really important to understand um, God introducing himself to us. Yeah, you have this, um, you have this scene of, of the expected parent, and many of us have had that opportunity to wait for a child to arrive and to fix up everything just perfectly in the, in the room, right? Uh, my mom and mother-in-law are here this morning, and I'll never forget the adventure they had trying to decorate our, my first daughter's uh, room. And sorry, Myla and Polly, there was not as much attention gone into your, to your room. I don't know. There's something about the first child, right? Um, but we were all excited. We were all excited to be able to look for the first time in the face of a child. And it reminds me of, of God gazing upon his creation. He makes this beautiful and wonderful creation. And then he, he, he prepares the whole space. And then he, he creates human beings. And in, in Psalms 139, it says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Oh, precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God. We think about God's eyes gazing upon us. That he looks at his creation, and he feels something, a bond, much like we feel with our children that, that lay on the ground, the babies that lay on the ground, and us as parents, uh, we, we gaze over them, and they look up at us, and their eyes are moving around, and maybe they're smiling, maybe it's gas, uh, right? But we're gazing, we're, we're in love with this being, and there's a bond, there's a connection that begins to happen from that initial gaze, right? So, uh, I'm not a real father. I'm a father as one untimely born. What is it like to look in your kid's face for the first time? Probably similar to several of the other fathers in the room, right? Um, you look at your child and you think, i got to keep this thing alive. How am I going to do it, <laughs> right? I remember leaving the hospital um, with Adeline, and for the first time I had a baby in the back seat, and there was this looming, this storm coming, and I thought, I'm going to die. And, I'm gonna, and how am I going to get this child home from this storm? And we were just 10 minutes down the road, right? But there's this, something clicked for me where I, uh, I wanted to be a protector in a way that I'd never experienced before. That I wanted to provide, that I wanted to take care of this little baby. I even remember when, when Myla, my second born, uh, she... She came out all yellow like some do, and so they had to sit under the lamp. And there was this new thing, I don't know if it's new, but it was new to me, where the mothers were insisting that the fathers would take off their shirts and have skin-to-skin -skin time with the child. Y'all heard of this? Some of you dads got pictures doing this, right? Or underneath the shirt. So I'm sitting in, the, in this uh, hospital room, skin-to-skin, -skin, okay, with my newborn 
child. And it was a beautiful moment. And I remember Myla having, having just a few moments throughout the day being able to do this because we had to put her back under that lamp and wrap her face up with, a, with this hood or whatever. She couldn't see him. But we, we longed for that moment to hold her again. I can't, I can't begin to uh, imagine how God sees us in the same way. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean you're, you're a good guy, but you're not perfect. Uh, you're close. <laughs> But to think about, you know, the, the immense love that he must have looking at his creation, looking at us as his, as his infants, as his, uh, as his children, that's got to be a precious part of his relationship with us. You know, you think about your children, those that have children, um, what do they do before you begin loving them? Do they do anything other than just exist? Right? And it reminds me of, of Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. Before he starts his ministry, he goes down to the water and he's rise, he, he raises up and, and he hears these words from his father. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. So as I think about the gaze that I had on my children as they were first born, um, I think about those words being poured over them. You are my daughter whom I love. I'm so proud of you. I'm so pleased with you. I'm so excited to be with you. And, and it echoes those words that God pours over Jesus before he does anything. He's loved. Tell me about your experience, uh, Scott, as you have grown in your relationship with the Father. Because, you know, our children grow up, Right? Uh, I've got an almost 10-year-old who came in and said Happy Father's Day, and that was a cool experience, you know, to see a, a, my, my daughters growing up. Uh, but our relationship doesn't stay right there, right, where we're gazing above them while they're laying on the ground looking at us. We're in love with them. We're excited to be with them. They grow up, yeah, and they mature. Yeah, I, I'll never forget the day I was stronger than my dad <clears throat> because I— I always thought of my dad as the, my dad is really strong. And so I always thought of him as the guy who takes care of things. And um, I look a lot like my dad. I walk exactly like him. And uh, so there are, there are points where everybody else will say, well, obviously he's Roger's son. But every once in a while, dad would say, that's my boy. Uh, because I'd done something he was tickled about. That's my boy. And I loved hearing that. But the language has change. I mean, he still says that, but now that I'm an adult, now that I'm grown, there are times where he'll say, I need your help. I need you to come help me do this thing I need to accomplish. I've got something that, um, oh, I got to help a neighbor, and I need you to come up and, and, and help me do that work. Um, there are things that he's asking of me as, uh, as an adult that are different from the father just, uh, uh, just taking care of me. And, and I'm, so, I'm so honored when Dad asks. I'm, I always feel pretty special uh, that Dad has asked me to give him a hand with something. Um, but but every, time I, every time I hear that, I'm also uh, thinking, wow, our relationship has evolved from the days when uh, I used to say to him, give me a sandwich or something to eat because I'm hungry. Uh, and now he's turning to me and saying, hey, I... I I could use your help on something. It's almost like the, the gaze turns from 
this excitement of just looking and being in the presence of the child to, wow, look what the child can do with me, right? He's my friend, and I'm his friend. Um, you know, the truth is, is that God loves us. As a father, he loves us, and we are accepted fully before we do anything. He's poured out, he's prepared so many things for us, but is that what it was all for? Do we remain just recipients of God's love, or did God intend something deeper? And when you said friend, uh, I want to turn to John chapter 15, uh, if you have your Bibles uh, or phones this morning. John chapter 15, um, because I feel like this is... Do you ever, do you ever meet people... Uh, where you just think, wow, they've got something special with God that I don't have, right? There's something going on with, with, in their relationship with God that I just don't have. There's something deep. Um, and I wonder if that's what God intended from the beginning, to see this develop. Uh, in, in John chapter 15, in verse 14, it says this, uh, and you know the, the context. We've got the disciples. Uh, they've been walking with Jesus for many years now. We're coming up on the end of Jesus' life and his ministry. And uh, he's having these final conversations with the people that he loves. And he's wrestled many times trying to teach them his plans. But he comes out toward the end of his, his time with his disciples and says this in verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask... The Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Scott, have you ever thought about being the friend of God? It's a little bit scary because it feels like you're um, uh, almost sacrilegious, right? Uh, or arrogant. But here Christ is actually saying... Um, inviting you to this mature relationship. And, um, and this mature relationship is not one that is uh, merely defined by extended time, but by becoming co-workers, which is weird. It's weird to think about God inviting us to that level of relationship. But I think it's important to understand, and I think it's also important to understand that when Jesus is talking about this deeper relationship, it's manifest by love. That that is the work. That is the thing that God is inviting us to participate in, is to create in the same way that he is a, a, creative, a creative being of love. Yeah, he, he says, abide in me earlier in the, in the scripture. It's, it's this idea that we're connected with him, that that's, that's the end goal, right? Is, is, yes, we're, we have work to do, but we're the most important thing is the relationship that we've spent all of these years developing from the Father's first gaze to as we grow and we learn to trust and we have this bond, we want to be with the Father, the Father wants to be with us, and then all of a sudden something changes from just 
a, a servant, as obviously the disciples considered themselves, Jesus changes the conversation to now you are a friend. We're going to share in something together, right? I, I experience this a lot. Uh, to, to shift metaphors just for the sake of, of, uh, of, of analogy, I experience this a lot as a teacher. Um, you know, uh, sometimes you have to teach ABCs, but we don't teach children the ABCs just so that they know their ABCs. One day we want them to write poetry, right? right. Um, and I, and I, I work with uh, doctoral students, and I'm not just teaching them stuff so that they know it and can spout it back at me. The idea is that I'm trying to create researchers who will go and find stuff out that I didn't know yet. And, uh, to help, and, to, and to participate in the work, to be teachers themselves. And, uh, and so while it's true that sometimes we, we expect as teachers for, for the student to give us back the ABCs so we know they learned them, in the back of our minds, we're thinking about one day, one day something beautiful is going to happen out of this. It's not merely follow these steps, but then do something creative with those steps. Yeah, yeah. And so as we think about our maturing relationship with God, our Father, that, that if we're wondering, how can we grow deeper? What is it that that one person that we admire, what do they have that I don't have? Well, maybe it's because they've, they've accepted the first truth, right? That simply we are loved children. They've fully accepted that. They're not doubting their identity. They're not doubting or questioning whether they, they have received full acceptance of the Father and full love. They, they know that. But then they build on that, right? right? That they, they build, and there's, there's some sort of increasing levels of joy as we create something with our Father, right? This, this, this deep friendship that is born out of love, that is a labor and a work of love, so we, we mutually create something. And have you, have you had that experience with, you know, you talked about your dad and, and him calling you when you had a time of need, were you able to create something with your father? Yeah, that's right. This is where, uh, this is where I believe God is calling us to the... His love is immense, and it's enough, but there are places where we can actually create his love for him, right? Um, God loves my neighbor, but my neighbor may not have heard about that yet, and so he's going to hear about it from me uh, and from, the, from, from my... Uh, from my willingness uh, to pick up the phone when dad calls and say, yeah, yeah, I will help. I will do this. I will help you out. I will find ways to, to manifest love in the lives of the people around me in the same way that you do this for everyone around you. I, it's not that we take it from God or we take the responsibility on ourselves. It's that we start to act like his children. There are things about the girls that reflect you uh, and who you are, and the ways they behave. Um, it's really special when we begin to reflect who God is uh, and be participants in his work, which it, it is, it is um, odd that Christ invites us to that in John 15. That's, uh, it's, on, it's, it's honoring, it's a little scary, but I think it's important. You know, and I, and I think back that maybe this is what God had intended from the beginning, is that he wanted to create something that he could watch grow and that could live 
and, and work and enjoy life with, with his child. And I think about how our relationships on this earth, they develop through doing things together, right? And not just hanging out uh, and doing nothing, but, but specifically doing things where you're creating love. And I, and I think if, you, if we want to deepen our relationship with our Father, we're not doing things necessarily for Him. And sure, He appreciates the sentiment, and, he, and we can glorify Him with our actions. But what He's inviting us to, and what I understand of, of John 15, is He's inviting us into working with Him. And that as we work with Him in His love, in outward acts of love with Him, our relationship deepens. You know, if we're talking about being God's friend, there's a great example in Scripture. Uh, Abraham is, is understood as God's friend. Um, and boy, there's a lot Abraham gets wrong, but there's a lot Abraham understands about who God is, too. Uh, and in Genesis chapter 18, um, God, it's, it's so interesting how, how God says this. Uh, in verse 17, he says, The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Um, he's about to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so uh, God says to himself out loud here, I'm not sure that I want to do this without talking to Abraham first. And that sets up the scene where Abraham says, you know, um, are you going to wipe out the cities if there are any righteous people in there? I mean, maybe if there were 50 people in town, you might want to rethink this, right? And God says, yeah, you know what? For 50, I would spare the punishment. And, and Abraham works God down, and he barters with God. And uh, Abraham himself has a pretty humble spirit about it. He's like, hey, I don't want to be a jerk here, but, um, you know, could I, could I get 25? Could I get 10? He's just working his way down. But as we all know, that doesn't work out. Uh, in fact, God does destroy the cities in the valley, but there's a precious, precious scene. It's something that you can just miss over there in chapter 19. If you uh, look at Genesis chapter 19, starting in verse 27, there's the destruction of the cities, and all of that goes with that. And, but the next morning, Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord, to negotiate for the cities. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward the land of the people of the valley and looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like smoke of a furnace. Why did Abraham get up early that morning? He got up early that morning to see if God could save those cities because he knows what God wants. He knows who God is and what God desires to do. Not vengeance, but mercy. And there's, a, there's this powerful empathy that's playing out in this scene where Abraham is not merely someone who does what God tells him to do, but he interacts with God. He talks with God. He makes suggestions, and God may take them or not take them. And he even walks up early in the morning to the, top of the, to the top of the hill to see if it's possible that God is able to do the thing that God wants to do, even when he can't. The, the levels of mercy here, I mean, of, of empathy here, I think are really, really powerful, and they begin to illustrate to us 
what this deep relationship with God looks like. To be bold to ask for mercy for people who we don't oftentimes feel like might deserve mercy. To be bold in asking God uh, to be merciful in contexts where we're not sure whether it's even right for us to ask. But we know who he is, and we know what he wants to do. We know that he offered his own son for this. So for goodness sake, for God's sake, literally, um, uh, to ask whether he might be able to, to show mercy to someone that, uh, or to a city, or to an entire group of people that we might never imagine um, Abraham understands who God is because he's his friend. He's not just his child. You know, you see this scene, and and oftentimes I've read that story thinking from Abraham's perspective. He wants to save the city because he's got family members in there, right? But his family gets out. That was seemed to be never in question. Right. um, That maybe Abraham was just trying to help God not have to experience what he's about to experience. Maybe he gets to the top of the mountain and he's thinking. As a friend would, man, I can't imagine what you're going through right now. Um, we wanted to invite us all into a conversation where we understand that, that God created us and he loves us and he gazes upon us, but he doesn't just love us so that we can feel good about ourselves. He loves us for something more. He invites us into this fatherly relationship where we can co-create love, where we can not only be concerned of the things that we're concerned with, but be concerned with the things that God is concerned with our Father, and even have empathy for our Father that says, you must be really hurting today because I can see on the news all of the terrible things going on throughout our world. How many of us have started our prayers out with, how are you feeling today, Lord? If God's inviting us into this deep friendship, maybe it can change our perspective on how we approach God, on how, how much He wants to give and how much He wants to be with us and how much we can uh, enjoy as we, as we work with Him, as we participate in love with Him. Uh, as we consider communing with the Father, I want to remind us of, of 1 Corinthians 5.18. Uh, Paul gets this. He calls us the, uh, as co-laborers with Christ in the ministry of reconciliation. Okay, We are co-laborers. That means he has brought us to the table. He's shared all the plans, and he says, let's go do this together. Let's build a better world. Let's Build, let's heal a world. Let's bring things back together, making peace and love and doing this together. And as we do this together, we grow in our relationship with our Father. Let's think about that as we sing and then we'll commune with our Father. Scott, you remember that time that you um, passed out, fell off your bike in the middle of Zambia? Uh, No, I remember the time I beat an African riding my bike. What happened was... I was uh, racing, Jeremy was up ahead like he always is, and I was riding uh, on another bike, and there was an African guy that was riding with us. Gift was with us, remember? And we went down this really long hill, and I passed Gift going down the long hill, and so I was ahead of him going up the hill, and I was not going to let him pass me again, and so I gave everything I had to get to the top of the hill. 
yeah, you got to the top of the hill and I was waiting on you because we were headed to a Bible study that I'd done every week and I was super excited. You know, I'd done this for a year. I, you know, Scott gets there. I wanted to show him what I'd been doing and, and have that experience with him. I, I wanted to make sure he's okay. I turn around. He's at the top of the hill and he's taking a break and all of a sudden he just topples over completely. Blacks out, passes out on the side, on, on, in the middle of the, of the road in Zambia. So I run over there to him, of course, and and uh, he's laying there like out, and I kick him a little bit, and I said, Scott, what's going on? <laughs> I thought he was waking me up in the morning. I had no idea where I was. So we drug him off to the side of the road, and these two Zambian ladies uh, pull in some, uh, a cart. They stopped by, and they were checking on Scott. He didn't know what they were saying. I had an idea from the language what they were saying, and... and uh, I was saying, you know, he, he must have dehydrated because he just had drank coffee all day or whatever. And she, they go, nope, it's because he's fat. <laughs> <laughs> they were right. <laughs> uh, but it was, uh, it's a, a memory that we like to, to reflect on from time to time because it means so much, not only from the humor, but for me, having been in Zambia for, for a year, doing these things alone... Uh, to have you come and participate with me, uh, it just meant uh, so much. And, and it was a moment now that's funny, but it, it's a, a moment that represents so much of our relationship, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, just recently I was uh, home visiting mom and dad, and my niece was there. Um, and so we started telling stories. My family are good at telling stories, and we started telling stories and remembering stories. And because, you know, the niece hadn't heard some of these before. And it was interesting that every once in a while, dad would say something like, well, I didn't know you thought that. Or, you know, I'd, I'd say, I don't remember that detail. And we were kind of rehearsing and laughing and, 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 um, and having those memories together. And I, I think that is a great way of thinking about what communion uh, is. It's not merely cleansing our minds. It's not merely a, a moment of meditation, although it can be. But oftentimes for me, I find that these, these moments of communion are great places to have those memories with God and to share with him things that um, were meaningful. I, I, I was telling you about this when we were having coffee this week. I remember a day I was doing, I was a, a therapist and I was in a child's in a family's home and I realized in the moment that the child was being abused and I... I left the house and I went to, this is before cell phones, I went and found a pay phone and called my boss and I called the authorities and took care of all of that and then I just sat in the car and I, and I was weeping, you know, I was so upset. And I kept thinking, I just know it happened. God watches the, the heartache that happens around us. And I kept thinking, what must it like to be you today? And I'm so sorry. You know, so many times I think we tend to treat his omniscience as though he knows what the end is, and he does, but um, he sees the suffering around us. And, and having, having that memory is a way of, of reminding myself I share in a relationship with God, just as we share in a relationship that's full of memory, just as... Um, that God has invited us to this kind of full, rich uh, life. And this time of communion is a great time 
to do that. Right. So we would invite you this morning to think on a memory. Think on a memory when you have sat in your Father's presence, God our Father, and enjoy that memory. Maybe it was a memory where you were crying, you were lamenting. Maybe it was a memory of humor, of, of laughter, of joy. Uh, whatever that is, those memories can play a big role into the deepening of our relationship with our Father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for inviting us into this relationship. We love you, and we know that, um, that the sacrifice that we think about in your Son, it, it pained you. It, was, it hurt, and it continues to hurt as you see a suffering world. But we're honored that you, that you want to be with us and that you invite us to, to enjoy this relationship. Be with us now as we take the body. In Christ's name. Father, your blood is our blood. And we know that you have gazed upon us lovingly, and we know that you have bathed us in your gaze. But we also know that you've called us uh, to be children for eternity. And we thank you for the relationship that you've offered us, the growth in that relationship that you've offered us. And we thank you for the blood that washes us clean so that we can be in your presence. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. There's a prayer by Augustine that will close us off this morning. It's very short, but it makes the point. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until we rest in you. <laughs>